You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's Meeting Pod episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. CRB Group is a Swiss company that designs and builds manufacturing facilities around the world. It also researches the market for such facilities. CRB's Horizons report on alternative proteins came out last summer, predicting that more than 90% of alternative protein producers will spend up to $50 million on capital expenditures in the next one to three years. Tony Moses is the Director of Product Innovation for CRB in the United States. He spent some time with me talking about the specifics of designing for alt-meat production and the challenges of planning ahead for such a dynamic industry. From the design-build equipment operations arena, has an awful lot changed in the last year? I mean, things have changed so quickly Early on in the process, are we sort of maybe reaching an area where that curve is maybe leveling off a little bit? Where are we in that situational awareness part of it? That's a good question and one that we're following. I think one positive development that we've seen is the USDA and FDA have released new regulatory guidelines. So I think this will be enabling for the cultured meat industry. Mm-hmm where FDA ownership stops and USD ownership starts. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's helping. How does even that basic division of duties inform the hard metal and equipment and building part of it? Yeah, great question. Part of it is how you divide up your facility. You might still process in the same manner, But a USDA-regulated facility has different requirements than FDA. For example, there needs to be an office for a USDA inspector within your facility. It helps us understand planning from a facility standpoint. And then it also helps the processes understand which unit operations need to be on, on which side of the wall, for example. Are you having some of those preliminary conversations with some companies? Yes, we are. We're seeing it at the pilot level, and we're also seeing conversations about commercial manufacturing facilities. So I think that indicates that the producers in that space are anticipating resolution within the regulatory space as well as consumer acceptance. You know, I'm sure you're aware that it can take years to build a commercial facility. So starting on that process, You want to do that in advance of that, well in advance of your product launch. That can be happening as you're having those conversations. You know, there's a lot of activity in that space. We're seeing established companies or well-known companies, but we're also seeing a lot of innovation and addressing some of those cost challenges that are keeping cultured meat from reaching the parity of conventional meat. So there's a lot of really neat and interesting ideas and conversations around how to make that a reality in the manufacturing facility. What 
are the major cost drivers specifically in the alt-meat arena that are of greatest concern right now in terms of these hard assets, the capital expenditures and such? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the ripe area for innovation, in general, what it comes down to is the throughput that you can get through the facilities compared to the capital costs. One of the challenges that we have in the alt-meat industry is that the meat needs to be generated and then it needs to be processed and packaged to that final form. So the technologies being deployed in that have not seen the innovation and evolution for that high throughput that other industries have seen. So for example, cultured meat, a lot of the equipment being used is inspired or or directly from the biopharmaceutical industry. That Mm -hmm. is towards high sale cost product at much lower volumes. So there is going to be kind of an innovation curve to increase throughput or decrease capital costs that will probably come of both. But I think that's the main challenge facing the industry right now. As you're looking at these processes being addressed and and new technologies being developed, where do you think are the greatest opportunities for efficiencies and cost reductions and energy sustainability, energy reductions from a plant and equipment point of view? The first place I'd tackle is that throughput. We think that there's a big opportunity for energy and water efficiency there. I think this will move the needle some, but typically a rule of thumb is this is about 10% 10% of the cost of the product, about 70% is your raw materials. This is just a broad sweeping statement for the food and beverage industry in general. So you need to see some pretty substantial gains in energy and, and water usage to move the needle on the price there. 10% energy savings is a pretty substantial improvement, whereas the raw material costs are 70%. If we can see a 10% savings there, then it translates to 7% cost impact, right? So that's why we say throughput and yield would be where we would dig first. Then utilities would follow that. There's a lot of technologies out there that make sense in terms of a return on investment perspective to implement. We've seen companies just by monitoring their compressed air usage or water usage they see inefficiencies, and, and that's a relatively inexpensive technology to implement. So it makes sense in terms of return on investment or environmental and sustainability goals, ESG type goals. It doesn't always translate to a huge impact on the product cost and product margin, if you will. Do you expect that those cost drivers for the alternative meat? processes in whatever form they take. Do you expect that those drivers might change in the next three to five years? Or is this pretty much going to be the challenges that the industry is going to be addressing for the foreseeable future? Cultured meat, I expect that'll be a really dynamic environment. So there's a couple of things that we look at in there. One of them is media costs. We think that there's a lot of good companies out there trying to address that now cell density in the bioreactors. We think there's a lot of companies out there trying to address that. So I think that we're going to see a lot of innovation in that space. And this conversation three to five years from now will be really different. What about plant-based and fermentation? Are those a little more static? Fermentation, I'd expect to go the way of 
cultured or cell-based. I think certainly the higher cell density that you can get out of a bioreactor fermenter, the better your throughput and the the lower cost of production. Plant-based, I think that's interesting. I think that the revival of the industry has caught a lot of people's attention. And so you're seeing companies like Bueller open up a brand new technical center. You're seeing investment in those facilities. So I think that that's a willingness of these companies to invest and really go all in on this market. So I'd expect innovation as well, but I don't know that we're facing quite the same challenges on that side since that that market's been around a little bit. I think some of those initial challenges have been solved, but I still can expect to see continued innovation. You know, you've got Beyond Meat that's very public about their cost target being on parity with conventional meat. And I think that that will take some innovation to get there. It could be on the commercial side, it could be on the technological side, but I think that there are companies out there that are very focused on bringing the cost down. And and I think it will require innovation to do that. So now I'm going to ask about automation and robotics in alt meat processing. What would you consider to be the state of investment in that area? Is it at the forefront of the technology in automation and robotics, perhaps because these companies are building from the ground up? Or is that another one of those, you know, everybody talks about it, but not that many people are doing it kind of things? It's always part of the conversation that we have with manufacturing facilities, always. And I think there's two things that are driving it. One is cost savings, which is a very known tale. But what we're hearing now is business continuity. So that labor availability is more than just the cost, the elevated costs of wages. It's also, I can't find enough people to work in my facility. So it's not just a cost driver. It's just, it's keeping the doors open. Where we see automation traditionally play well is for high throughput facilities, so so high capacity facilities, it makes sense to invest in an automated case packer and palletizer if you're doing many of those a day. If you're only doing a few, if you're relatively new and you're testing the market to figure out would a patty, would a beef-like patty, a a hamburger-like patty be better? Would a sausage be better? doesn't make financial sense to invest in those automation capabilities. So that's traditionally where we've seen it. Now, though, you're seeing more tailored automation, right? So, you know, for example, Amazon is using self-driven vehicles to stock their warehouses and build orders. Can we do that on the manufacturing space? Can we start thinking about things that are nimble and flexible that we can program that can go fetch the different things we need to put into a batch. So that I think Mm -hmm. it's a conversation that's come up too. There's typically a higher capital cost of highly automated facilities versus manual. So that always has to be weighed against budget for the project, return on investment, and business continuity. The other approach you can say is you can plan for automation. So you can have parts of your process that are still manual, but you have the space and utilities for when you've kind of found your stride in the market and, and you really 
dive into that and invest in that, you need to make sure you have the footprint and utilities and even the ability to bring in that automation equipment. So you need to design your doors and entryways to accommodate potentially large equipment coming in. But that that is a model that we see a lot of, especially early stage or, or high growth companies open to. You had said that automation and robotics has a greater effect when you have a higher throughput situation. In general, I'm thinking of of those companies that might be anywhere close to a high throughput situation are still a relatively small part of even the plant-based industry. Some of the emergent brands, I would guess, are at that kind of lower throughput. I mean, look at cultured meat, for example. I mean, they're just starting to hit the market. So we, we'd expect that you wouldn't want to invest a lot of capital in a certain format or flavor until you really see what's out there. But mm-hmm. some pretty established players out there, Kellogg's has, has uh, plant-based brands, ConAgra has plant-based brands. So that might be an area where you're at a, you're at a higher throughput situation where you've reached some market maturity there and you've got companies that are that are looking for sales revenues that move the needle in their portfolio of products. So I would guess that there are some high throughput product lines out there at some of those more established CPG food companies. We had talked about sort of this this two-part process business where you have an initial base product production and then you have the finished product production. And to me, I'm like, hmm, this, this almost sounds like you need to have twice as many facilities and twice the number of machines to get the same volume. What does that imply in terms of the capital expenditures in getting from ingredient to finished product? Yeah, great, great question. It's a pretty complex environment. So you might have a company that is better at making the base product and then a, a company that's better at finishing it. You know, for example, you have a company that traditionally is in that business to business space and is used to handling high volumes of commodities. So, for example, a texturized vegetable protein or TVP extruded product, they might be used to handling large volumes of dry materials and processing that. They might have the commercial infrastructure in place to service those clients. So they might be looking to sell that TVP to someone who will then take it to consumers. So sometimes it makes sense from established infrastructure, but the the challenge if you don't have it all in one facility is that once you're done producing, you have to store it, transport it, store it again, and then process it again. So that kind of in-between step, you lose Mm -hmm. some efficiency in your price, but you might gain it in your overall enterprise. You know, you might be manufacturing multiple soy products and and you can use the protein-rich fraction for your base product and then the fiber-rich fraction for another product line. So it, it could make sense from the enterprise standpoint. And then I think we do see it where people are making the base product all the way through the final product where maybe they're a little bit more vertically integrated. So they do get some synergy by maybe just leaving it on site. So you're mm-hmm. talking about maybe smaller warehousing spaces, not having to have as many loading docks and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. you 
make that decision. Do I want to have all that in house? Do I have the resources and, and means to scale all that? Or do I want to focus on one area and get good at that? So it does have an impact on infrastructure for sure, storage space, loading docks, circulation. But sometimes it can be worth maybe that extra infrastructure. So you can focus on your core expertise or you get synergies with other product lines in the facility. Okay. Now, in all meat processing, most of it is co-packed, although some plants are being built that are dedicated to that. I don't feel like there are that many, but CRB is certainly at the earliest end of the construction planning cycle. Is, is that changing? Are we... Are we going to see more Altmeet companies sort of having that production in-house as opposed to going to an OSI or, or somebody else to do it on a dedicated line or something within their larger operations? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's still going to be a mixed scenario going forward. So some companies are choosing to invest their resources in kind of the marketing and product development side of the house. So they're looking to minimize their manufacturing responsibilities, for example. Sometimes it makes sense for them to tap into the expertise of co-packer and let them hold it and even grow with them. You can add lines to that co-packer. And we've seen it in, in other areas of other sub-markets where a company with manufacturing capabilities will choose to grow with a co-packer. But we've also seen that some companies want to bring that in-house. They want either control the manufacturing process. Part of their strategy is to invest in their manufacturing as well as their development and, and marketing capabilities. So I, I think it's going to be a mixed bag, a little, little dependent on company culture, where they want to invest their resources and, and how they want to compete in the marketplace. What are some of the considerations when you're planning on building a facility for one of these other alternative meat processing options versus a conventional meat business, which is you know, necessarily very dirty at the front end, at least, and also very wet and very cold. Yeah. yeah. So I think that the dry handling, the powder handling is a unique aspect. And I, I agree with you that a lot of it ends in a wet processing step. You know, the, the final format of a chicken nugget, whether it's from conventional or plant-based chicken, you're kind of going through those same final steps. So it, it's that's still that same kind of wet environment. But the upstream, the dry powder handling, I think is a pretty unique challenge in that industry. So just the staging of that, the dispensing of it, the transport through the facility, those all use different mechanisms and equipment than in a wet environment. And one of the big challenges that we've seen is that they're very difficult to clean. So they're typically coming in a super sack, a ton of material that's hung up, and then it's conveyed through the facility with air compressors or fans. And that's through ductwork that's typically very large diameter compared to piping that you would use to transport liquids. So that, that makes it difficult to clean sometimes. And so you need you really need to think about segregating allergens and scheduling so that you're not cross-contaminating. We've even seen some facilities where certain lines are just dedicated to certain allergens because cleaning is, is such a concern. 
but you also need to look at scheduling if you're going to manage your allergens in that way. And then solids mixing is very different than liquid mixing. It, it can be more difficult. So there would be different equipment for that as well. And what does that mean for you at the very front end of the whole design build equipment process? Yeah, it's critical that you work with those equipment vendors that that know how the solids dispersion, handling, and mixing equipment works. And you have those conversations about cleanability. If it's not equipment that's easily cleaned and you're using multiple allergens, sometimes that means more pieces of equipment than what you might be expecting. And that has not just a cost on the equipment, but also the the space and the utilities to install that. Uh, So those are things that need to be looked at very early on in the process to make sure there's still a business case for that facility. What is the effect and 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 what are the options in terms of food safety considerations and in one of these alternative meat plants, whatever the actual technology is, whether it's fermentation or cultivation and such? Yeah, good question. There are some kind of universal components to food safety. Uh, for example, foreign material detection needs to be in every facility. Your processing and machines that contain metal. You need to make sure that you've got a metal detector x-ray so that you're not sending particulates out in the food that could damage a consumer. Even you really want to minimize the use of glass in in the facility that's difficult to detect and could be potentially very hazardous. So foreign material contamination is universal across the food industry. I think one interesting area for plant-based is that most of the ingredients are widely recognized allergens. So vital wheat gluten is used a lot. Soy protein is used a lot. And and these are known and widely recognized allergens. So they need to be managed in an appropriate way. So I think that that's a unique concern for the alternative meat industry. I still think that we have to watch our sanitization practices. Anything that goes out that has the appearance of of ready to eat, we've seen manufacturers want to make sure that that's been through a step to reduce any potential pathogens in there. And then it's controlled after it's treated. So a cook step, uh, high pressure pasteurization, something like that. And then you maintain the cold chain too. I think that's common to the meat industry. But a lot of the formats that we see are direct substitutes for meat. So it's important that they stay chilled or frozen during warehousing and transportation. Is that for food safety considerations or product quality considerations? Both, both. Yeah, absolutely. Both. You know, food safety, I think most clients if not all, would tell you that that is higher priority than product quality because nobody wants to get someone sick or worse, right? But one of the things that chilled or frozen storage does for you is it inhibits the growth of pathogens. It's a very exciting time, particularly from where I sit, because we're seeing a lot of innovation and how people manufacture And what gets us excited is that it's not just the processing equipment that gets affected. It really ripples out into the utilities that are supplied, the footprint, how people and material move through the building. And we also think that it's fun 
to try and incorporate flexibility into these facilities. Just as this industry grows and, and changes as it matures, it's been a really fun technical challenge on, on how do we answer changing formats in a, in a dynamic marketplace without building spiraling facilities that have low utilization rates. Tony Moses and CRB have their fingers on the pulse of the alt-meat construction market. Our thanks to Tony for sharing his expertise with us today. You can read more on CRB's Horizons report on alternative proteins on our website at alt-meat.net. You can also go there to subscribe to our twice-weekly newsletter and bi-monthly print magazine dedicated to the business of alternative meats. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.